I want to just share with you a couple thoughts. In the book of Matthew, here's what it says as we connect there. If you'll look in chapter, if you'll turn to chapter 13, I mean chapter 2, verse 13, we'll find our place there. While you're turning there, I want to read you just a few verses out of in 5 and 6. It says, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a shepherd. That comes out of Micah as well. And so as we look at this today, and we continue to connect these dots in verse 13, it says, And now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you to, for Herod is about to search. You may want to underline that in your Bible, about to search, for the child to destroy him. And he goes on and says in verse 14, And he arose and took the child and mother by night and departed to Egypt, remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had already spoken out of by the prophet, says, Out of Egypt I'll call my son. And then Herod, in verse 16, when he had heard about this trick, he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all the region that were two years old and under, according to the time that he had uh, heard from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken of by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Bethlehem, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were there no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought to kill the child, look for his life, are now dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went back to the land of Israel. Now, as we look at this today, there are several things I want to share with you. It's pretty simple. Man, it lays it out right here in a, in a seamless format. The first thing we see is when prophecy is kept. God is a covenant-keeping God. That's what the whole book that we gave you is about. As you notice, there's not a lot of thoughts from your pastor in there. There's not a lot of uh, uh, devotional moments in those books that you're reading. It's pretty simple. Here's Here's the prophecy. Here's the fulfillment. In the Old Testament, God said... In the New Testament, God did. He said and he did. He's a God who means what he says and does, completes what he says he's going to do. When you think about that and begin to connect the dots with that, what does that mean? This whole part of the first part that we read was about God keeping his word. God keeping his word about Bethlehem being the the lowliest of lowliest of the tribes of Israel. But yet God says, don't count yourself lowly. Don't discount yourself because out of you will come a ruler. Out of you will come a king. God's keeping a word that he said. Now, God may have given that word to them, but you know, probably all of the people that studied the Old Testament was like, really? Bethlehem? Really him? Huh? Him? Really? That's kind of how my life was after I started pastoring and preaching. They were like, really him? That guy, really? No, uh, come on, it can't be. 
And so there's that word of God, a prophecy. The thing I want to talk to you about is because last week we talked about what it means to get a word from God, how it affects our life. Last week the whole sermon was looking at how the word of God affects us. Today, it's bigger, how the Word of God affects others, how the Word of God, when He gives you a word, affects those around you. And this is not just about us, and it's not just about others, it's about God. This is about God keeping His promise, God keeping His Word, regardless of who the recipient is. For thousands and thousands of years, for millennials, God has been keeping his word and he's been affecting people that were not even connected to one another. But it's about God. I love that verse, and I think it's in Timothy, where it says, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. When we are faithless, God is faithful. When we are undone, God is faithful. I love that in Psalms, uh, Psalms 119, the trinity of faithfulness. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled, and you are faithful from generation to generation. God is not a God who is just part-time faithful. He's occasionally faithful. He is always faithful. And I'm telling you the thing about these, that word of, from word to wonders that you are going through, it's about God keeping his word. It's about his yes and amens being solidified, settled, and complete. And when we look at this today, in the couple of prophecies that I read you, it was about Israel weeping. I mean, when Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, wrote that in chapter 31, Rachel will weep and lament for Israel. What does that even mean? It meant because one day there was going to be a wicked dictator who was going to rise up and begin to kill babies. And it was going to cause this great lamentation to take place. All of these things are so interconnected. And I want you to understand something today. If you don't get anything else, get this. When God's speaking to you, you may think it only affects you. But it affects all those who are around you, all those who are connected to you. I was thinking just the other day, had I not obeyed God, had I, <coughs> had I not been faithful and <coughs> done what God's called me to do, I wouldn't be standing here choking to death. Amen. <laughs> I think about all the lives that we've touched. Had I not been faithful and gone through the pathways that I've gone through, some of you, we would not be sitting in this room together today. I think about our churches in Peru. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas and those 80 children that are part of the banner of family of grace and know Christ. Had I not been faithful, had I not been faithful, it's not about me. What about you? What about your faithfulness? Had you not been obedient and done what God's called you to do, I'm telling you that God is a prophecy-keeping God. The Bible says this, that God works in a ways that we do not understand. And even though it seems like we dwell in times of opposition and sin abounds and we are in pathways and a lifestyle where it's hard to understand one another, I'm telling you that we have a common denominator and his name is Jesus Christ. He kept his prophecy through Micah. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, he kept that word. In Jeremiah, he kept that word. And I'm telling you today that whatever word God is giving you, he will keep it. Because he is a prophecy-keeping God. There's big-time prophecy that affects the whole dynamic of the world. 
But then God had a prophecy for you. Because before you were ever born, he had a purpose and a plan. And the purpose and the plan came about before you were, before you ever was. The plan was here. You did not exist. Then you exist and you are connected to the plan. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, that is a prophetic word for your life. Today, the one thing that amazes me, that astounds me, that makes me sad, that I, I am overwhelmed and I am on a mission to try to help, and I love your honesty, and I love you really trying to figure it out, is how many people do not understand why they're here, why they're breathing, why they're living, why they're moving, why they exist. I want you to understand today, I understand the dysfunction in the world. I understand the depravity in the world. I understand the despair in the world. But one thing that I do not understand is why in the world people will not grab a hold of God and say, Lord, tell me why I am. Tell me why I exist, Lord. And for that purpose, God I want to live because I'm telling you in that is fulfillment in that is joy in that is peace in that is living in that is moving and in that is having your being you see my friends today God is true when you when you go home and you pick up that book from word to wonder, or you pick up your electronic device and you look at it on the electronic format I'm telling you, here's what it says. Like the very first page, God said, okay, the seed of woman will bruise and his heel will bruise and crush the head of Satan. In Genesis, here's what he says. In Matthew, the Savior was born. The Savior was a baby. The Savior was there. Here he spoke it. Here he's fulfilling it. Every jot and every tittle of the Word of God. I don't care what atheists say. I don't care what religious rulers say. I don't care what supreme dictators say. Judges, I don't care what liberal preachers say. I care what the Word of God says. And I'm telling you, I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm sharp enough to figure out when God said something in the Old Testament and when he did it in the New Testament. Can somebody just pause and say amen? He said it and he did it. As we think about this, not only do we see in this passage prophecy kept about the child having to come out of Egypt, but we see something else. We see problems encountered. Because every time, say this with me, every time. Now say it like you mean it, every time. God says something, Satan attacks it. Every time. Not sometimes, not maybe, every time. Every time there is a move of God, there is an equal and opposite move of satanic forces against the holiness of God, against the righteousness of God, and against the plan of God. I'm telling you, I, that's what he does. Problems are encountered. And when you're walking through problems, quit thinking that God doesn't love you. Quit thinking that he's not taking care of you. No, there's all, I'm telling you, God's got a plan. But I'm telling you, Satan has a plan. And it's if you're moving and you're living and you're being and you're fulfilling your plan, then he wants to sidetrack you. Because when, when others see Jesus in you, when others see life in you, when others 
others see purpose in you, when others see passion in you, when others see peace in you, they'll begin to ask why. And when you begin to point them to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, whether it's a baby in a manger, a a grown boy uh, in a fishing vessel, a king on the cross, when they see Jesus and Jesus is lifted up, whether it's a baby, an adolescent, a young man, or an adult, when they see Jesus, mm -mm -mm, things are going to happen. Jesus said, when you lift me up, I'll draw. I'll draw all men unto me. All men unto me. God is in control of every little thing going on, no matter how crazy it may see. For the last two weeks, I feel like I've been living under a heavenly embrace. You you ever feel like that, like God just hugs you? How's God hug you? Through his word. I'm telling you, when you get in the word of God... When you get in the Word of God and you get a word from God and He reveals Himself, it's like He just throws His arms around you and gives you a big heavenly bear hug. And I'm telling you, that's good stuff. So for the last two weeks, I feel like I've been embracing a heavenly bear hug. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Can I share it with you? Here's what it says. It's found in Matthew chapter 2, and it's found right there in verse 13. It says, And after they were gone, an angel suddenly appeared after the wise men. Now, the wise men had just left. After they were gone, a wise angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Get up. First thing you need to know is every time God calls you to do something, it requires action. And the first thing he had to do was get up. Take the child and the mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. Boy, now there's the hard part. You think it's hard going. Going's easy. It's staying until he tells you to come home. Oh, you want me to move on, don't you? It's staying and waiting on a word from God. Not moving in knee-jerk fashion. Waiting and obeying. And here's what he says. And here's where the heavenly bear hug came in for me. He says, for Herod is about to. That, that, that's what did it for me. Herod's about to. About to did it. Herod hadn't got up. Herod hadn't decreed it. Herod probably hadn't had counsel about it. But Herod was about to. About to. Herod's about to make a decree before Herod ever made a decree, before Satan ever moved against Joseph, before he ever moved against Mary, before he ever moved against Jesus. God was over here in Joseph's bedroom, in his bedroom, saying, Hey man, Herod is about to. He's about to come looking for you. I'm telling you, God is already in your tomorrow. God is going before you. If God be for us, then who can be against us. Herod thought he had all the power. Herod thought he had all the forces. But there was a voice that was greater than his armies. There was a voice that was greater than his edict. There was a voice that was greater than his wealth. That was greater than his knowledge. I'm telling you as he was moving against Jesus as he was moving against Mary as he was moving against Joseph God was already moving on their behalf. 
I'm telling you what that means for you and I today is a lot. Here's what it means. It means something simple, that he is always ahead of the problem. He is not reacting. I'm telling you, we may be reactionary people. But God is not a reactionary God. Because thousands of years before, he told Micah, the prophet, write it down. Jesus, the Messiah, is coming out of Bethlehem. He told Jeremiah, the prophet, write it down. That Rachel will be weeping and wailing and mourning for and lamenting for the children of Israel. Write it down. Why? Because thousands of years in the future, there's going to be a force that comes against us. But know this. The force that is with you is greater than any force that's in the world. Are you hearing what I'm saying today, church? God is always ahead of the problem. Before Herod ever started moving, God was already working on Mary and Joseph's behalf. Now, if that ain't a bear hug, I don't know what is. About to. You're about to. Mm-mm-mm. But here's where it gets tricky. Will we obey the word? Or will we try to help God out? See, a lot of times we believe the word. We believe the prophecy. But we have problem with the waiting. He said, now you get to Egypt and you wait till I give you the word to come back. There wasn't a problem leaving. What about Abraham and Sarah? They had a problem believing that they were old and going to have a baby, but nevertheless, they believed it. Because a little later on, when God didn't move on their timetable, Sarah says, you know, God gave us that promise, but basically he's probably busy keeping all the galaxies in order and life moving as it exists. Why why don't we help God out? You know, I'm not getting any younger. Let's help God out. Why don't you take Hagar, my servant, and have a child with her. And so they did that, and they're going to give God a helping hand. See, they didn't have a problem believing that God was going to give them a baby. They had a problem waiting to do it God's way. Now, if we could just be gut-level honest with just ourselves, that's where I have a problem. I have a problem. I've been thinking about this sermon all week because am I going to obey God? Am I going to wait Or am I going to try to do it my way? My way. It's hard. It's hard. I remember thinking this thought just this week. Lord, in all these years, you never have. That's what I said. And he said to me, I'm not starting now. Hmm? I was about to say, Lord, you never have failed me. And my other thought was going to be, why does it feel like you're failing me now? But before I ever got out of my prayer language, the failing me now, he said, I'm not about to start. It's not going to start with this moment. It's not going to start in this season. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? Just because I'm not responding when you want me to, just because I'm not doing it how you want me to, it doesn't mean I'm about to start down a new pathway of being a neglectful father. Need I remind you, son, that I am not a deadbeat dad. When the wonders of wonders appears, you got to make a decision. Will I accept it? Will I obey it? But most of all, will I wait 
on the Lord. See, the problem is God's not bound by time, but we are. We look in the mirror and we see ourselves aging. We see ourselves the years getting behind us, years passing by, and we start saying, God, how are you going to do this? Lord, what are you going to do? How are you going to walk through all of this? And I want you to know that God is already working. You see, God always leads with a promise in his hand. There's not a bait and switch. There's not a try to trick you and get you to sign up for some deal. We we were looking at this thing yesterday, and we were debating whether it was, well, let me not say what we were debating because I don't want to get in trouble here, but Basically, it was looking at the lights of the zoo, the zoo thing they have, and we were thinking about going to it. And on the brochure, you probably got in your mailbox, has all these pretty animals. Like you can go see the Christmas lights and see all these animals. Anybody get with that in here? Anybody get that from our zoo? Oh, a couple of them, sorry. And so down at the bottom, we started reading, it says, you probably won't see these animals. I love my wife. She's always looking at the fine print. If it had been me, I just showed up looking for the animals and then wanted a refund and want to argue with the manager. I'm not being super spiritual. I'm just telling you how it works. And so she's like, well, so what does this mean? They say one thing, but then in the fine print they say it probably won't be. That's not how God works. He does not bait and switch. He leads with a promise in his hand. He woke Joseph up and said, hey, I want you to get up. Because Herod's coming. Not right now. He's still thinking about it. He's still trying to build up courage. He's still trying to build up troops. He's still trying to build up a plot. But he's about to. All the pieces are about to come together. But hey, Joseph, before he ever does, you'll already be in Egypt. (laughs) And you see, God always leads with a promise in his hand. That's why he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear evil, for the Lord is with me. And if God is with me, and the Lord is my shepherd, what else shall I want? Can somebody say amen in the house? What God is saying is he leads with a promise in our hand, but the devil leads with doubt in his hand. A promise or doubt. See, it's not hard for Satan to get us crossed up, because with every promise there is an equal and opposite move of satan with doubt because what god promises is so big his plans for our life are so big that he wrote it down he he wrote in his word this way your eyes have not seen your ears have not heard and your mind cannot comprehend what i've got in store for you so when he begins to lead us into the uncomprehendable it's not hard for satan to say now really did Let me tell you how it goes. You ready? Did did God really say that? That was the first trick of the book. Did he really say you couldn't eat from the tree? If God really loved you, why would he keep that from you? If God really loved you, then why do you walk through this? Did God say? Or did you assume? And before you know it, you're like a termite in a yo-yo. You don't know which way's up. I'm serious. Because you're saying, did God say? Did I, did I, wait, wait a minute. Was that my thinking? Was that my plan? 
Is that what I want? Or is, or is that really what God wants? And before you know, God's over here saying, Savior, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. And here he comes with a promise in his hand. And here comes with Satan with doubt in his hand. And before long, if you look on that doubt long enough, it'll end up in your heart. When it ends up in your heart, you're going off and you'd be... It, it, here's how the story would end for Joseph. You know what? I'm a man's man. I'm a carpenter. I spent all this time building this room for my family. I put those floorboards down with anticipation of my little baby boy crawling across them. I erected these walls with my own bare hands to protect my family. I put a roof over his head to protect my family. I am a man's man, and I can protect it. That's what happens when you begin to doubt. You be, when, here's how it happens. You begin to think more of yourself and less of God. I could probably close with that statement, huh? Satan always leads with doubt. And you begin to think, what happens when I know better than God? That's what he did to Eve. Now, you did God really say that? Hmm. From Egypt to Egypt, God has his way in the whirlwind. Think about this. God took the son of Rachel sent him into Egypt under the banner of betrayal as a prisoner, sold as a slave, rose in Potiphar's palace, found himself in a prison to be in second in command to saving Egypt and the whole region from a famine. And then... They dwelt in Egypt for 450-something years. And there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph and began to afflict them and torment them, and God brought them out. God brought Egypt out, brought Israel out of Egypt to save them, but now he's bringing his son into Egypt to save them. So that he brought them. It sounded like a song we used to sing. He brought us out to bring us in. <laughs> oh, last thing, write it down. Prophecy kept, promises encountered, promises, uh, problems encountered, and promises kept. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Before a group of men ever got together in the Northwest and said, why don't we have this conference called Promise Keepers, God had already been doing it since the beginning you see in God's sovereignty he orchestrates events on our behalf they may not look right they may not seem logical matter of fact if they seem logical and doable in the flesh then it's probably something you have created it's probably an Ishmael and not an Isaac we have Ishmael God says, but I'm still, I, I'm still keeping my promise. I'm giving you an Isaac. We were, we were reading, uh, we have this Bible book uh, leading up to Christmas, and we, got a, we ran across a story this week of, of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac, and Bradley, Bradley's name is Bradley Isaac, because when I found out we were having a, a baby at our age, I literally laughed. <clears throat> and uh, 
He found out this week through the reading of that story that his name is Son of Laughter. So uh, it's a whole new world in our life this week. And, uh, but he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. He keeps his word. I remember going to the Lord, laughing and crying and praying and saying, God, what are you doing? I'm old. And I remember him saying, I have you a son. I've got a plan. And I remember thinking, before you ever spoke that, surely, surely if God has an old man having a baby, that it's going to be a boy. Because, see, had Bradley not been born, it would have been the end of our, our, our name. And I remember God speaking to me. I remember we had to drive to Lafayette because when old people have babies, they send you to Lafayette. And uh, to a specialist, make sure everything's okay. And uh, I remember, uh, I remember him coming in there to tell us what it was. And he says, "You're not surprised." I said, "Because God already told me." See, when God gives you a promise, see, God is a promise-keeping God. And what I want you to understand is that he had a promise that Jesus was going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He had a promise that Jesus would, <coughs> would be the Savior of the world. He had a promise that of David's lineage there would be no end. He had a promise that there would be a king in the line of David. And we know from last week that Joseph was in the lineage of David. He had a promise that he would be born without a human father. He had a promise that he would be born in the most lowliest town of the tribes of Israel in the lowliest place in the lowliest town he kept the promise of a king he kept the promise of the Messiah he kept the promise to David he kept the promise of a virgin he kept the promise of no human father he kept the promise of Bethlehem he kept the promise that Bethlehem wept he kept the promise that the Savior would come out of Egypt and he kept the promise that Jesus was hometown would be Nazareth and I'm going to tell you today he's going to keep the promise that one day soon and very soon he'll split the eastern side and he who came as a baby will come as the king of kings and the lord of lords the question is will you be ready will you be ready see you will not break the prophecies of god's word you will not negotiate them away you will not barter them down but you will break yourself on the very promises if you do not trust them, only trust God's promises. Only trust them now. Because he's the only one who can save you, who can deliver you, who can set you free. By his birth, by his life, by his death, by his resurrection your head bowed I want to ask you a couple of questions how many of you today you've obeyed the promise but boy you're growing weary and waiting you're growing weary and doing good I wonder if you're here today and you just say pastor I'm, I'm growing weary waiting on the promise that's you would you just look up here at me for just a moment eyeball to eyeball I see you brother somebody else I see you sister I see you young lady I see you sister 
I see you. And like somebody else, I see you. What I want you to know is that God hasn't forgot about it. And I want you to know that as we will look at next week, that he will extend your effectiveness. He will make the most of your life until he fulfills his promise. Don't you grow weary in doing good, guys. Don't you give up. Just trust him and him alone. Then maybe you're here today and you've been trusting things in the world so much. You've been trusting your spouse, your family, your mama, your daddy, your job, whatever you've been trusting in, and you're just at a point where you don't know what to trust anymore. Could, could I beg you today? Could I beg you to trust Jesus? Could I beg you to give it all to him? Could I beg you to accept his heavenly embrace? that's you today make your way to this altar and say lord i want to give it all to you i want to follow you see me after service find somebody if i'm not here after service and say pastor ralph i want to know more what pastor brad was talking about i'm tired i'm tired i want to trust you lord speak to our hearts in jesus name amen